0: See, we are in 1st Samuel chapter 6, 1st Samuel chapter 6, and last week we had seen that the ark was returned to Israel, to the city of Beth Shemesh, which was a Levitical city, It was actually a Levitical city of refuge, and um, this cart came in. To this town of Beth Shemesh. So reading chapter six of Leviticus from verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley and they raised their eyes and they saw the ark, they saw the ark and they were glad to see it. And the ark came into the field of Joshua the Beth Shemite and stood there where there was a large stone. And they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was in it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacri- sacrifice sacrifices that day to the Lord. When the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned to Ekron that day. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned for a guilt offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gaza, one for Ekron, and the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both of the fortified cities and of the country villages. The large stone on which they set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua, the Beth Shemite. And he struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down of the people fifty thousand and seventy men, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, "Who is able to stand before the Lord, the, this holy God? And to whom shall we go up? And to whom shall He go up from us?" So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of kiriath Jerem, saying, the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. OK, so. Remember, the Philistines had put this ark because it had ravaged three of their cities, three of their cities, wherever the ark of the Lord had been taken. Three of their five cities had been ravaged by this plague. So they made this golden offering and they 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 uh, put it on this cart, these Milk cows had never been used for pulling a cart before. They went directly to Beth Shemesh. They stopped right in front of a stone in Beth Shemesh. And it's interesting, you see, you know, sometimes we'll, people will say, oh, well, you know, the Bible was never really transcribed, never really written down for many years. This just went by, by oral tradition, and things change by oral tradition, and they will liken it to the telephone game. Where you whisper in one person's ear something and then they whisper it in another and another. And once you go through ten people, it's a totally different message. But to say that about the scriptures shows no historical scholarship to say that. Because there are towns that are spoken about. Many towns that were wiped out and never existed. And they'll go and they'll do archaeology and they'll find those towns of those specific names. The specificity in the scripture is so enormous that only the unscholarly and the rookies would say that that has, you know, this is just the telephone game. It is not. There are specific names of towns. There are specific names of places. And in fact, when they say there was a stone there, you know, in in Houston, you can't find a stone. Go ahead. go, Go outside. Try to find a natural stone other than a hunk of concrete. From the corner of the road. or the, You can't find one here in Houston. But you go to Israel and there are no lack of stones. Anywhere you look, there are stones. There are also big stones. So when they say that, that, that there was a large stone, they don't mean you know, something with a 12 inch diameter. It means something that's half an acre or an acre in size. I mean, these are big stones. And so there happened to be a stone there that they, they put up this offering. And many of these these stones don't go away. I mean, what was then will be there today, unless they've, you know, demolished them, blown them up and built a building on it. But you can go and see Beth Shemesh today. And, and they offered these up. There was an offering. And then it says, and, and uh, uh, the lords of the Philistines, when they saw it, then they returned to Ekron. So the lords of the Philistines were standing back and following this cart because, remember, their diviners had said, if this goes to Beth Shemesh, then you will know that this plague was from the Lord. If not, you will know it was just coincidence that this plague is hit. So they saw it, and the five lords of the Philistines were there. So only three of their cities got ravaged. There were two of the cities, Gaza and it was either uh, Ashdod or Eshkelon were the the two that, that did not... Uh, uh, get hit with, with with this this plague. That's described. The three that got hit with the plague were, were a- actually so. So it's it's actually um, Ashkelon and Gaza were the two that didn't get hit with the plague because they said, "Let's get this ark out," because the other three cities had gotten it. And then it says that the men of Beth Shemesh, fifty thousand and seventy men, looked in. There are three key texts, Hebrew texts, that say it was seventy men, not fifty thousand and seventy, and in fact. The way it's written, it says 70 and 50,000, which is not the normal Hebrew way to to write it. So it's really believed that it was 70 men. Plus, having it 50,000 men would be probably too large a number for a small city in that day anyway. But nevertheless, they never should have looked into the ark. That was a very special position that no one was ever supposed to do. But these were Levitical people. And they were able to take care of the ark, and then they moved it down to Kiriath-Jerim. So let's pick it up in, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord, and they brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill, and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark, from the, from the day the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim, the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented for the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him alone, and He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Asherah, and served the Lord alone. Then Samuel said, "...gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you." They gathered to Mizpah, and they drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said, "...we have sinned against the Lord." And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines." And the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, and he saved, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to the battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder, on that day, against the Philistines, and confused them, so that they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went to Mizpah and per- went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, "Thus far the Lord has helped us." So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more within the border of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was with the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the land of the Philistines. So there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. So, they moved this, the ark to kiriath Jerem, They put it in the house of Abinadab. A Levite. And his son, Eliezer, is consecrated, not as a priest, but to take care of the ark. It says it was a long time. It was 20 years that the ark stayed there. It was actually about 100 years that the ark stayed there. It was 20 years from that time until the time in verse 3 when Samuel took on the judgeship of Israel. So there was a 20 year period, but the the ark stayed there until David, nearly 100 years later moved it from this house up into Jerusalem. So Samuel started to judge Israel, and the first thing he says is this, in verse 3. He spoke to all Israel, the house of Israel, he says, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods from you and the Asherah which are among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him alone, He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Now how could it be that simple? This is a very simple verse. If you will stop serving other gods, God will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. And we think we have to do all sorts of great and glorious things. Very simple, what he put before the people. You stop serving your other gods, you serve him alone, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So, it says in verse 4, they did that. They stopped, they removed the foreign gods and they started serving the Lord. When Samuel then saw this behavior in verse 5, it says he said, gather them all to Mizpah. And this place, Mizpah, was a common gathering place for Israel. It's several times you see it throughout the books of kings and judges. Common area. It's about seven miles due north of Jerusalem, Mizpah. And they would get, they gathered there. And when they gathered there, uh, Samuel called a fast, and he prayed for them there. And it says in verse 6 that they fasted there, they fasted on that day, and they confessed their sins. They said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged Israel at Mizpah. So they fasted, and then they confessed their sins to the Lord. You know, if you are struggling with something, it is not wrong at all to fast and to pray about this thing. And in their fast, they recognized that they had been sinning against the Lord, and they confessed their sins to the Lord. It says in verse 7, The Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, and they went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So, they weren't just in Mizpah for one day, they were there for probably several days, gathering, repenting, fasting. Because it takes some time for the Philistines to hear about this, And then gather their army, because they took this gathering as a threat. The right that we have in our Constitution, the right to assemble, the right right to bring our grievances against our government, is a treasured right. This is not something that most people can do. Most places you go in the world, you can't have large public gatherings, large public demonstrations appealing to the government for something. That you're upset about. You can't do that. Because most governments look at this as threatening to their power. And they certainly did here. The Philistines did. They had these overlords, which were the Philistines at that time. And so they saw this, and they mustered their army, and they attacked them in this very time. When they had come out to gather, to pray, and to seek God, and to repent. And just because we repent doesn't mean that we never undergo attack again. I mean, attacks come. Troubles come. Even when there's times of repentance. In this very time, here they are with their the men, their wives, their children, their families. And you see this attack. And we sit here comfortably 3,000 years later and say, Oh, they got attacked. We know they'll be delivered. They didn't know that they would be delivered. This was a frightening time. They didn't come prepare for for war. And the Philistines see them gathered and attack them. So the sons of Israel say to Samuel, cry out for us, help us. And so Samuel takes this suckling lamb, gives it up as a whole burnt offering, and he cries to the Lord in verse 9. and And it says in verse 10, Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to the battle against Israel. So in the midst of battle, what's he doing? He's offering up a land. You know, you'd think that they'd hunker down. You'd think that he'd, you know, run for the hills or something. Run back to Jerusalem where there's... The, uh, uh, well, actually, they didn't, have, they didn't have the city of Jerusalem then. It wasn't until later that, that David had conquered the city of Jerusalem. But run someplace secure. No, he is going to continue this offering. It is important in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle, to continue to pray, to continue to have fellowship. This is an important thing. You say, well, I'm too busy right now. When things calm down. No, things weren't at all calm. And he was offering up this lamb. And in the midst of this, verse 10, now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering and the Philistines drew near to the battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. Israel didn't even come out ready to fight a war. But they were routed before Israel and this started 30 years of peace with the Philistines never attacked them again while Samuel was judged. For 30 30 years they were never attacked again. They in fact acquired territory that had previously been taken by the Philistines. Not their fortified cities, but the areas around those. And it also says in the last verse of, of, of verse, in the last line of verse 14, that they also had peace with the Amorites. So they had peace with the Philistines on the west, peace with the Amorites on the east. When Samuel was judging, and they had put away their foreign gods, There was peace in Israel. This same pattern is reflected throughout Israel's history. When they obey, their land expands and there's relative peace. When there's disobedience, there's not. It's the same in our lives. The same pattern happens. How much more simple could it be? You want to read about your life? You want to read about your life? It's in here. Your life is in here. You do what it says to do, things will happen generally as mapped out in here. You do the things against God, things will happen generally as mapped out here. God does protect. God does bless. This same pattern, this protection, this blessing that He gives to us, Look what, what he says. He says, you cry out to us. He's offering up this lamb. They had put away their foreign gods. They had repented. God delivers them. That very instant, he delivers them. This pattern is the same pattern in our lives. That we can come alone. We can fast. We can pray. We can repent. And God establishes a place of security. Turn to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm 37. This is a tremendous portion Psalm 37, what a promise. If you look in, in Psalm 37, reading from verse 23. Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Look at that. That God delights in us. God delights in watching our steps. Verse 24. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious in lens, and his descendants are a blessing. Look at the promise of God. He says, first of all, I delight in you. I love you. He says, when you fall, you're not going to fall headlong because the Lord is the one who holds your hand. It's like when you have this little kid, you hold their hand when they're going down the sidewalk. Why? Because little kids so often don't lift their foot enough or their flip-flops, you know, grab the ground and they go. And when you have their hand, you just lift them right back up so their face doesn't smash into the ground. This happens a lot when you have little kids. so You hold their hand when you walk down the sidewalk. And this is what God does. We may fall but not headlong when we walk with Him. Times of challenge, times of attack come. Times of pain, times of death, times of sickness. But it says that you will not fall headlong. God will protect you. He is the one who holds your hand. Then He says, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. In all of his life, he says this, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children forsaken. They've never had to beg bread. Here is a promise for your life. You can take this promise and appropriate it and extract it for yourself. And say, God, do this in my life. If you live a righteous life, you will not be forsaken of God. And your children will not be forsaken. He will protect your children. And it says, this is part of the characteristic of the righteous. All day long, he is gracious in lends, and his descendants are a blessing. If you are gracious and giving, you will receive back. If this is the life that you have, gracious and giving, giving of your time, giving of your resources, giving of yourself in service to others, you will receive back. And your descendants will be a blessing. Your descendants will be a blessing. I have seen in my lifetime, I have seen very, very well-to-do families with everything here on this earth that was turned in all on themselves and their own families. Making things comfortable for themselves and only themselves. And what happens is that things begin to come unraveled. But there's a pattern here. It says righteousness is gracious and lends. And His descendants will be a blessing. If you are gracious and lend and are giving, your children will be blessed. One day, you will have a child. And you will become a much better citizen on the day that you have a child. And what do I mean by that? You will care a lot more about the crime in the city. You will care a lot more about the school systems. You will care a lot more about neighborhoods. You will want to be on the PTA and on on things that, that are are good for children. You care a lot more about the athletics for kids in the community. Right now, you have no care about that. And I understand. Most college students are totally oblivious. The city is just this hum around them that somehow survives. You will become very excited to know and become involved in the things of the city when you have a child. And there is a promise here. Your descendants will be blessed if you follow this pattern. This is what Samuel said to them. And things come at you. Let me give you an example of things that just came at me recently. You know, sometimes when you get to a certain level and your name gets out there, people write to you. They write lots of things in blogs about you. And I don't read any blogs because there's all sorts of things that are written about me. And people have met me. They say, oh, you know, I read something on a blog about you that you do this and this and this and this. I've never done that in my life, but it's interesting that people would say I've done that. You know, and, and so they'll write all sorts of things about you, but they will also write things to you because through email they can send you messages. They say, well, where do you get, where do they get your email address? It's like all over the world. My email address is everywhere. And they'll send me things and just recently somebody cursed me. And I don't mean just using foul language he said, your life will be cursed. From this day onward, your life will be hell. Now, you know, that was several weeks ago. And I've actually had a more enjoyable time these past several weeks. But, you know, there are promises that immediately excite me. Promises when I hear things like that because of the Word of God. Look in in, uh, in Proverbs. Right after Psalm, there's Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 26. So I will go through Proverbs. I go through Proverbs regularly. And there's this precious, precious verse, Proverbs chapter twenty six. Look in verse two. Proverbs twenty six, verse two. Like a sparrow in its flitting and like a swallow in its flying, so a curse without cause does not alight. So if you look at a sparrow, or you look at a swallow, I mean they're just, you know, swallows are forever, even when when is this thing gonna land? And it says, a curse without cause does not alight. So as soon as I read that, I wasn't fearful that, uh-oh, what's going to happen now? It didn't it, it didn't faze me a bit because I knew what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that a curse without cause does not alight. It will not land on you. It will not land. A curse without a cause will not land. In Second Samuel 16, verse 12, it says, God takes the, the cursing and turns it into a blessing. And I knew that I was going to be even more blessed. And I was just going through the day waiting for the blessings to come. The Bible says in in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely in My name. He says, blessed are you. You're blessed. Then He says, rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This word of God is an absolute treasure. He takes cursing and he turns it into a blessing. He takes threats and he turns it into protection. God does that. This is exactly what he told, what Samuel was telling these people. If you will put away your foreign gods and serve him only, God will bless you. Very simple. And they did it. He saw that. He says, come on out to Mizpah. And he says, they went out for judgment. Judgment was a good thing. He was going to proclaim and teach them the Word of God. And then in the offering, they get attacked. They say, what should we do? And he offers up this offering. As this army of Philistines is approaching, he's offering up this offering. It doesn't prevent him from going to church. These sort of attacks don't prevent him from getting up in the morning and going to church. Oh, it's been, it was a rough night. You know, I was, I was up real late with my kid because they, were, they, were, they wouldn't sleep. Well, big deal. You still go to work. You still go to church. You still do these things. You follow God and you will be blessed. The prescription for your life is in this book. And that's why Moses said... In it is your life. Read about it. Read about your life in this book. You can read about if you do this, this and this, what will happen. Your life is written and defined here. Your children, the children of the righteous will never beg bread. The righteous are generous and lend. They're generous, meaning that it's not what's going to be done for me. It's how can I give to others? How can I do something for others? My wife wakes up in the morning and she'll start making a list in her quiet time of people that she's going to do things for that day. I mean, how can you have a life that's just so generous? But this is what she thinks about. How is she going to do something for somebody else that day and lists out the people, including the little kids that she's going to go, She says, Oh, it's so-and-so's birthday. I mean, that so-and-so is four years old. I have to go buy them a present and they're not even going to know it hardly. But no, I have to go buy them a present. And oh, that baby, that baby is now one month old today. I'm going to go over to the house and just hold that baby and bring him a present. So it's not one year, it's one month. You're going to do this every month? No, but one month is special. You're going to go and do this. You have a life like that. God is going to bless you richly. This is what Samuel was telling them. If you would but serve God, put away these foreign gods and serve Him, do what He says, your life will be blessed. They did that. They got 30 years of peace. 30 years without attacks from the Philistines. It was 30 years later when God raised up uh, uh, um, King Saul. When when Saul came on the scene that Saul and Jonathan had to battle again with the Philistines. But it was totally peaceful under Samuel's time when he was judging Israel. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. How our lives are written in this word. Father, I pray that your blessing would be on these young people. That they would devote their lives to You. And devote their lives to serving You and being generous with themselves, to others, and with what they have. Father, I pray, by the grace of God, that You would move in on their lives and protect them. Father, that they need not fear curses, that they need, need not fear attacks. Because You are with them. Because they will not fall headlong. Father, thank You for Your truth and for Your great mercies. In the name of Jesus, Amen.